0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this uh, reading, recitation, performance by Lord Gawain Douglas of the uh, 9th century Tang poetry, poet Bai Juyi, or Po Chuyi. The different pronunciations will be explained in the course of this evening. Um, But before we do that, it is tradition in Temenos to light a candle, to betoken the universal light with which which brings us here together, the spirit of light, which seems appropriate in this particular season, which is also the season of the coming light in many traditions. So we'll have a moment's silence, a minute's silence, while we think about that. So may I welcome tonight... Lord Gawain Douglas, who is a teacher, a reciter of poetry. I myself have heard him read the Four Quartets for Temenos. It's a most special evening, and he's going to be reading from and talking to us about Bai Juyi this evening. And some of the poems will be read in Chinese by Jane Cheng, who is the head of Mandarin at St. Paul's Girls' School. Um, So please welcome Lord Gawain Douglas.
1: Those who speak know nothing. Those who know are silent. Those words, I'm told, were spoken by Lao Tzu. If we are to believe that Lao Tzu was himself one who knew... How comes it he wrote a book of 5,000 words? So inquires Po Chui. Uh, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for making the fantastic effort of coming here in this difficult December season. And thank you very much for Teminus for hosting this, and for Hilary Davis for being in the chair, and in particular, thank you very much for Jane Seng, Uh, For agreeing to recite in Mandarin, in in Cantonese, sorry, three poems. Let's swing to 832 AD uh, when Po Chui was was 60 and was feeling his age, and he relocated to the Xiangshan monastery in North China. Actually, he'd been feeling quite old since the age of 40, and I think he thought that the monks would look after him and his family quite well. And he got on with his writing and he strove ever to become more simple in his life and his words. And he succeeded. And a tale is told how he tried out every poem he wrote on a simple peasant lady, and if she didn't get it, he threw it away. So you should be all right. (laughs) He wrote over 3,000 poems, so she must have been rather patient. But a, a trenchant message to modern poets, I think. Be simple and clear. Life is too short to wrestle with difficult rhymes. And um, let me introduce, please, um, uh, early 20th century translator and recreator, the remarkable Arthur Whaley, who achieved um, the extraordinary feat of... Um, presenting 9th century Chinese and 20th century English in one seamless stream while somehow um, maintaining the oriental feeling of the original words Um, he found a thread of mind and spirit common to both nations which, which fragile gossamer still blows in the breeze between us if we allow it if we cherish it are so important, I think, now um, to find and treasure these cultural links in our divided world. Whaley is a subject of his own lecture, of many lectures, a man of colossal breadth, scholarship, wisdom and poetic genius. And more of him a bit later. The poems of the 9th century Tang poet Po Chui speak to us simply and clearly across seven seas and 1,200 years as though he just popped in for morning coffee. Um, They describe the life of a government official who is also a poet, exiled at 42 for his contentious and outspoken opinions, much of his time is spent in melancholy and illness in remote uncongenial places occupied inevitably by uncongenial people. The poems are full of the exiles longing for home, longing for his friends, full of his love of nature and wine. Loads of wine. How great a thing, he says, is a single glass of wine, for it makes us tell the story of our whole lives. He would have loved the Italian equivalent. Chi beve vino, campo centano. He who drinks wine lives for a hundred years. Um, and I've adjusted my intake sharply upward since doing this (laughs) Um, his 30 year literary friendship with another poet Yuan Chen was central to his life and his poems to his friend are beautiful and very sad and very very romantic yes as though Po Chui himself had just popped in here now for coffee but no probably a glass of wine And uh, please don't listen to what follows as poems. Please don't switch on your poetry ears, because that will discombobulate your brains. Please just listen to casual, topical, interesting snippets of chat on this or that bit of local information from Chinese lips, from poetry's lips, across seven seas and 1200 years. Um, so the first poem I'm going to read is after passing the examination Um, it's a poetic selfie really taken at the city gates (laughs) he's excited, he's just about to travel home after ten years at his university he's aged 28 he doesn't actually value his own success but he knows his parents will be proud of him for a moment time watches For ten years, I never left my books. I went up and won unmerited praise. My high place I do not much prize. The joy of my parents will first make me proud. Fellow students, six or seven men, see me off as I leave the city gate. My covered coach is ready to drive away. Flutes and strings blend their parting tune. Hopes achieved dull the pains of parting. Fumes of wine shorten the long road. Shod with wings is the horse of him who rides on a spring day the road that leads to home. And we come on to Bamboos, which um, Jane is going to read when I've introduced it. Um, It's an early poem expressing his disappointment in himself at his decision to work as an official instead of being a hermit in the hills and streams and deciding, as authority, to plant bamboos. You try it, if something goes wrong. Plant bamboos. Jane.
2: Samoy Yum may sing. So nice to
1: hear that first. Disappointed my will to serve the state. At my closed door. Autumn grasses grow. What could I do to ease a rustic heart? I planted bamboos more than a hundred shoots. When I see their beauty as they grow by the streamside, I feel again as though I lived in the hills. And many a time when I have not much work, Round their railing I walk till night comes. Do not say that their roots are still weak, Do not say that their shade is still small Already I feel that both in courtyard and house Day by day a fresher air moves But most I love lying by the window side To hear in their branches The sound of the autumn wind Lazy Man's Song Humorous, light, ridiculous, praising idleness. But a subtle message to remind that doing can actually be a substitute for being. And that by doing nothing, one may actually achieve something. Anyhow, I can tell you for sure, one thing I do know is all poets are lazy devils. They need to do a proper day's work. I could have a job, but I'm too lazy to choose it. I have got land, but I'm too lazy to farm it. My house leaks. I am too lazy to mend it. My clothes are torn. I am too lazy to down them. I have got wine, but I'm too lazy to drink. So it's just the same as if my cup were empty. I have got a lute, but I'm too lazy to play. So it's just the same as if it had no strings. My family tells me there is no more steamed rice. I want to cook, but I'm too lazy to grind. My friends and relatives write me long letters. I want to read them, but they're such a bother to open. I've always been told that Hisu Shu Ye passed his whole life in absolute idleness, but even he played his lute and worked at his forge sometimes, so even he was not so lazy as I. Hermit and Politician. The constantly current tale, as we read in the papers every day, and actually today particularly, the higher you rise in the affairs of the world, then the faster and further and harder do you fall down, as Shakespeare reminds us in Sonnet Number 25. Hermit and Politician. I was going to the city to sell the herbs I had plucked on the way I rested by some trees at the blue gate. Along the road there came a horseman riding, whose face was pale with a strange look of dread. Friends and relations waiting to say goodbye pressed at his side, but he did not dare to pause. I in wonder asked the people about me, who he was and and what had happened to him. They told me this was a privy councillor whose grave duties were like the pivot of state. His food allowance was 10,000 cash. Three times a day the emperor came to his house. Yesterday his council was sought by the throne. Today he is banished to the country of Yai chu So always, the counsellors of kings, favour and ruin, change between dawn and dusk. Green, green, the grass of the eastern suburb, and amid the grass a road that leads to the hills. Resting in peace among the white clouds, can the hermit doubt that he chose the better path? For Poet Shuey, his, his, um, his solace was the hills and the streams. For Shakespeare's, it was the comfort of knowing that he was loved by someone and loved them in return. The painful warrior, it for might, after a thousand victories once foiled, is from the Book of Honour raised quite, and all the rest forgot for which he toiled. Then happy I that love and am beloved where I may not remove nor be removed. Hmm. His poems often describe um, the conflict between the demands of his art and those of the world and the longing for the freedom simply to be. I'm reminded of a poem of Kathleen Rain's The River, where she looks down in a dream at this beautiful stream and um, she sees in it trout and I think a pike at the bottom and she's transported, absorbed, but then a car comes along in her dream to drive her away to her official life. Poe Chui's poems are full of the suddenness and simplicity of Zen and the concept of Tao, and one senses the acceptance of suffering as part of the human condition, but also a growing detachment from its rigours. Touchingly, he counts his friendship with Yuan Chen, his love of running water and the sound of the autumn wind as the things he most desires not to relinquish in his search for simplicity. His friendship with these was stronger than his zen. His poems paint... You can see with clarity the mountains, forests, rivers, temples, shrines, villages, and the countryside of his local surroundings. The Cranes. This poem's exquisite pictorial charm reminds me of one of those 18th century oil paintings, English oil paintings, a small dwelling some trees a river a field a couple of people in it working or resting and um, a few cattle perhaps there is movement in this poem but it it is still as a Chinese jar is still moving perpetually moves in its stillness the cranes The western wind has blown but a few days yet the first leaf already flies from the bough. On the drying paths I walk in my thin shoes. In the first cold I have donned my quilted coat. Through shallow ditches the floods are clearing away. Through spare bamboos trickles a slanting light In the early dusk Down an alley of green moss The garden boy Is leading the cranes Back home And I cannot but help Think in relation to that poem Of Grey's elegy in a country churchyard It has resonances of it The curfew tolls the knell Of parting day The lowing herd winds slowly o'er the lea. the ploughman homeward plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me Dreaming that I Went um, to visit give me the full title Jane of that poem it's, uh, uh,
2: Dreaming that I Went with Lee
1: to visit To visit Yuan Chen. I guess many of you may have had this dream. You are with someone in this dream that you know that you loved or you still love. Um, maybe you talk, maybe you touch, maybe you embrace. The moment is shining, golden, permanent. Be wake and the dream is still with you in the room and you reach your hand and it's gone
2: Gao. Yemong Lai hoi pup ping You yin Thank you.
1: At night, I dreamt I was back in Chang'an. I saw again the faces of old friends. And in my dreams, under an April sky, they led me by the hand to wander in the spring winds. Together we came to the ward of peace and quiet. We stopped our horses at the gate of Yuan Chen. Yuan Chen was sitting all alone. When he saw me coming, a smile came to his face. He pointed back at the flowers in the Western Court, then opened wine in the Northern Summer House. He seemed to be saying that neither of us had changed. He seemed to be regretting that joy will not stay, that our souls had met only for a little while to part again with hardly time for greeting. I woke up and thought instilled at my side. I put out my hand. There was nothing there at all. Well, um, yes, he is um, a bit gloomy poachy sometimes, they can be rather sad, but overlooked is his crazy sense of fun. He is absolutely... Mad, and he knows he's mad. Madly singing in the mountains. There is no one among men that has not a special failing. And my failing consists in writing verses. I have broken away from the thousand ties of life, but this infirmity still remains behind. Each time that I look at a fine landscape, each time that I meet a loved friend, I raise my voice and recite a stanza of poetry and marvel as though a god had crossed my path. Ever since the day I was banished to Husun Yang, half my time I have lived among the hills. And often when I finished a new poem, alone I climb the road to the eastern rock. I lean my body on the banks of white stone. I pull down with my hand a green cassia branch. My mad singing startles the valleys and hills. The apes and birds all come out to peep. Fearing to become a laughing stock, to the world, I choose a place that is unfrequented by men. Invitation to Hesaiyo which now I I have uh, trouble to find. Um, Well, I think most of us will be familiar with having to endure being with people one doesn't much like. And worse, having to sit with them. And worse still, having to eat with them. Ah! Within the gorges there is no lack of men. There are people one meets, not people one cares for. At my front door, guests also arrive. They are people one sits with, not people one knows. When I look up, there are only clouds and trees. When I look down, only my wife and child. I sleep, eat, get up, or sit still. Beyond that, nothing happens at all. But beyond the city, Hisayo the hermit dwells, and with him at least I find myself at ease. For he can drink a full flagon of wine and is good at reciting long line poems. Some afternoon, when um, the clerks have gone home, at a season when the path by the river bank is dry, I beg you take up your staff of bamboo wood and find your way to the parlor of Government House. Well, Um, to me as I get older his poetry has been a revelation without really knowing it i would wearied of the old rhymes and cadences the assertiveness the complexity the effort of western poetry I long for simplicity and here at last I found it in the works of Poetui yes I found comfort in this eastern ancient contemporary mind uh, choosing poems um, for this little affair was more difficult bu- than you might realise because every time I found a poem I thought, hmm, actually I like this one better and then after a day or two I thought, no, no I'll have that one, it's a bit like a menu you think, you have the avocado, and then, no, no I'll go for the prawns, oh, no, I'll have the soup and uh, anyway, as a result of all that um, we come to the fact that I've chosen at the end of spring because um, it tells us something about Po Chui's Taoist philosophy and it also we're in the dead of winter so I thought it'd be rather nicer. the flower of the pear tree gathers and turns to fruit the swallow's eggs have hatched into young birds When the season's changes thus confront the mind, what comfort can the doctrine of Tao bring? It will teach me to watch the days and months fly without grieving that youth slips away. If the fleeting world is but a long dream, it does not matter whether one is young or old, But ever since the day that my friend left my side and has lived in exile in the city of Chiangling, there is one wish I cannot quite destroy, that from time to time we may chance to meet again. I shall do one more poem now before going on to talk about Arthur Whaley and then do the temple. And um, Nicky and I, my wife over there, um, put on a, a charity concert recently um, for um, a great big variety show. And uh, it was a big success, but it nearly killed us. It, it really did, because people were dropping out anyway. Um, the fact is, there was a photograph taken as we were bowing at the end of the concert. And I saw it afterwards. I thought, my God, I've lost, I've actually lost hair. <laughs> it's come out, it's come out. <laughs> Uh, and then I saw this poem, poet choose, you see, about his baldness, in which he he, he makes me realize that it's a good thing. Uh, it's better to be bald, because the more you lose, the more you gain. <laughs> At dawn I sighed to see my hairs fall. At dusk I sighed to see my hairs fall. For I dreaded the time when the last lock would should go they're all gone and I do not mind at all. I have done with that cumbrous washing and getting dry, my tass and comb is forever laid aside, best of all when the weather is hot and wet, to have no top knot weighing down on one's head. I have put aside my messy cloth wrap. I have got rid of my dusty tasseled fringe. In a silver jar... I have stored a cold cream, on my bald pate I trickle a ladleful. Like one baptised in the, in the water of Buddha's law, I sit and receive this cool cleansing joy. Now I know why the priest, who seeks repose, frees his heart by first shaving his head there was to be a sort of little intermission, but are you all happy for me to go straight on? Yes. Or are you getting tired? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a bit about Arthur Waley. What can you say... About genius? Only ingenium est ineffabile, beyond words. Whaley was the living proof um, that genius is not, as Dickens said, it was an infinite capacity for taking pains. No, rather an inborn gift of absorbing and reconfiguring life and its patterns in one brush stroke, uh, in one chord on the piano. The translation of one 1300 page Japanese novel. But a few facts about Whaley. He was a humanist, was considered and considered himself a mediator between Eastern and Western cultures, someone we could rather do with now. He was an expert skier, a lover of mountains, like his friend Po Chui. Also a very keen cyclist who resolutely pedalled at great speed down the newly opened M1. He thought all politicians were rogues, and unattractive rogues at that, Which there's a difference. Some rogues are very attractive. His huge intellect and sudden silences could intimidate and overwhelm a formidable group of people around a dinner table. Essentially, I think, like a lot of very clever people, he was quite gauche and often very shy. Also very eccentric. I hope there is nothing I can do to help. His fairly high-pitched voice was heard to exclaim at a a very busy um, weekend in the country when he could have done quite a bit to help. And having been invited to a very posh luncheon at a very posh hotel, he arrived with his own carrier bag of salad. (laughs) After gloomy predictions of likely sales for his 170 Chinese poems, which was first published in 1918, um, they actually did rather well and continue to do well, appealing to many young women secretaries who actually didn't normally read poetry. Why? They often spoke to Whaley about this but because, because the poems were very simple, everyday things dealing with the particular, not the abstract. I suppose uh, in another context you could say they're a bit like Edward Thomas or Robert Frost, uh, Bob Dylan, who was a protest po- a poet, as just as Arthur Whaley was, um, Paul McCartney it's no surprise to me that um, the British Library has a Beatles exhibition going on at the moment highlighting their very fine lyrics and people like Bob Dylan and the Beatles are actually recognized, beginning to be recognized as the poets they were Poet Shui was much influenced by his equivalent in, in his time, the Han Dynasty UFO folk ballad style of poetry my wife says I must mention I didn't just say UFO not unidentified flying, flying poets and U um, F U style of poetry. Um, we'll move on to the temple, which for me, not knowing nearly as much about poetry as I should and not knowing all his poetry, I've read some of his longer poems, but to me, it's his masterpiece as, I, as I've yet discovered. The temple describes Po Chui's ascent of a mountain with a temple close to the top, the temple of the wizard Wu Chen. It's a poem of pilgrimage, jubilation, wondrous descriptions and deep Buddhist faith. A poem of transcendence, moments of illumination, many of them at night. I recall Robert Graves' account of staying awake all the night long, not because he was anxious, but because of pure joy. An unusual experience uh, in this poem, so. For us it's a warning, perhaps, an injunction, to take our leisure, our walking, our wine, our climbing, our wandering, our straveig, as the Scots would call it, seriously, our deepest needs and yearnings seriously, and there's a moral at the end, if you find it, which is to follow your nature or die before you die. <laughs> the temple. This is my books, don't a book before, Forget it. Autumn: the ninth year of Yuan home. The eighth month and the moon swelling her arc. It was then I travelled to the temple of Wu Chen, a temple terraced on Wang Shun's Hill. While still the mountain was many leagues away, of scurrying waters we heard the plash and fret. From here the traveller leaving carriage and horse begins to wade through the shallows of the blue stream. His hand pillared on a green holly staff, his feet treading the torrent's white stones. A strange quiet stole over ears and eyes that knew no longer the blare of the human world. From mountain foot, gazing at mountain top, now we doubted if indeed it could be climbed. Who had guessed that a path deep hidden there Twisting and bending crept to the topmost brow Under the flagstaff we made our first halt Next we rested in the shadow of the stone shrine The shrine room was scarce a cubit long With doors and windows unshuttered and unbarred I peered down but could not see the dead Stalactites hung like a woman's hair. Waked from sleep, a pair of white bats fled the coffin with a word of snowy wings. I turned away and saw the temple gate, scarlet eaves flanked by steeps of green. Twas as though a hand had ripped the mountainside and filled the cleft. With the temple's walls and towers. Within the gate, no level ground, little ground, but much empty sky. Cells and cloisters, terraces and spires followed the jut of the hill high and low. On rocky plateau, With no earth to hold, were trees and shrubs gnarled and very lean. Roots and stems stretched to grip the stone. Hunched and bent, they writhed like a coiling snake. In broken ranks, pine and cassia stood through the four seasons forever shady green. On tender twigs and delicate branches breathing A quiet music played like strings in the wind Never pierced by the light of sun or moon Green locked with green, shade clasping shade A hidden bird sometimes softly sings Like a cricket's chirp sounds its muffled song At the strangers' arbour, a while we stayed our steps. We sat down, but had no mind to rest. In a little while we had opened the northern door. Ten thousand leagues suddenly stretched at our feet. Brushing the eaves, shredded rainbows swept. Through red sunlight, white rain fell, azure, And storm swam in a blended stream In a wild green clustered grasses and trees The eye's orbit swallowed the plain of Chin River Way was too small to see The mounds of Han littler than a clenched fist I look back A line of red fence broken and twisting Marked the way we had trod Far below toiling one by one Later climbers straggled on the face of the hill Straight before me were many treasure towers Whose wind bells at the four corners sang At door and window, cornice and architrave A thick cluster of gold And green jade. Some say that here the Buddha Kasyapa Long ago quitted life and death. Still they keep his iron begging bowl With the furrow of his fingers Chiseled deep at the base. To the east there opens the jade image hall Where white Buddhas sit like serried trees. We shook from our garments The journey's grime and dust And bowing worshipped those faces of frozen snow Whose white cassocks like folded hoarfrost hung Whose beaded crowns glittered like a shower of hail We looked closer Surely spirits willed this handicraft Never chiselled carved Next We climbed to the chamber of Kuan Yin. From afar we sniffed its odours of sandalwood. At the top of the steps, each doffed his shoes. With bated stride we crossed the Jasper Hall. The jewelled mirror on six pillars propped, the four seats cased in hammered gold through the black night glowed with beams of their own nor had we need to light candle or lamp. These many treasures in concert nodded and swayed, banners of coral, pendants of corner When the wind came, jewels chimed and sang softly, softly like the music of paradise. White pearls like frozen dewdrops hanging dark rubies spilt like clots of blood, spangled and sewn on the Buddha's twisted hair, together fashioned his sevenfold jewel crown. In twin vases of pallid termaline, their color colder than the waters of an autumn stream, the calcined relics of Buddha's body rest. Rounded pebbles, smooth as the specular stone. A jade flute by angels long ago, Born as a gift to the garden of Jetavan, It blows a music sweet as the crane song, That spirits of heaven earthward well might draw. It was at autumn's height, the fifteenth day, and the moon's orbit full. Wide I flung the three eastern gates, a golden spectra walked to the chapel door, and now with moonbeams jewel-beams strove, in freshness and beauty darting a crystal light which cooled the spirit and limbs of all it touched. Nor night long needed they to rest, At dawn, I sought the road to the southern tope, Where wild bamboos nodded in clustered grace. In the lonely forest, no one crossed my path, Beside me faltered a cold butterfly. Mountain fruits, whose names I did not know, With their prodigal bushes hedged the pathway in. The hungry here copious food had found, idly I plucked to test sour and sweet. South of the road, the spirit of the blue dell, with his green umbrella and white paper pence. When the year is closing, the people are ordered to grow as herbs of offering, marsil and motherwort. So sacred the place, whose pure earth never yet was stained with sacrificial blood. In a high cairn, four or five rocks, dangerously heaped, deep-scarred and healing, with what purpose did he that made the world pile them here at the eastern corner of the cliff? Their slippery flank no foot has marked, but mosses stipple like a flowered writing scroll. I came to the cairn. I climbed it right to the top. Beneath my feet a measureless chasm dropped. My eyes were dizzy, hand and knee quaked. I did not dare bend my head and look. A boisterous wind rose from under the rocks, seized me with it, tore the ground from my feet. My shirt and robe fanned like mighty wings And bore me like a bird wide-spreading to the sky. High about me, triangular and sharp, Like a cluster of sword-points, many summits rose. The white mist that struck them in its airy course, They tore asunder and carved a patch of blue. And now the sun was sinking in the northwest his evening beams from a crimson globe he shed till far beyond the great fields of green his sulfurous disk suddenly down he drove and now the moon was rising in the southeast in waves of coolness the night air flowed From the grey bottom of the hundred-fathom pool shines out the image of the moon's golden disk. Blue is its name, the Lan River flows, singing and plashing forever, day and night. I gaze down, like a green fingering, in winding circuits it follows the curves of the hill sometimes spreading to a wide, lazy stream, sometimes striding to a foamy cataract. Out from the deepest and clearest pool of all, in a strange froth, the dragon's spittle flows. I bent down. A dangerous ladder of stones paved beneath me a sheer and dizzy path. I gripped the ivy, I walked on fallen trees, tracking the monkeys who came to drink at the pool. Like a whirl of snowflakes the startled herons rose, in damask dances the red sturgeon leapt. For a while I rested, then plunging in the cool stream from my weary body I washed the stains away. Deep or shallow, all was crystal clear. I watched through the water my own thighs and feet. Content, I gazed at the stream's bed. Wondered, but knew not whence its waters flowed. The eastern bank with rare stones is rife. The azure malachite that outward turns a smooth, glossy face In its deep core secret diamonds lie Pien of Chu died long ago And rare gems are often cast aside Sometimes her radiance leaks from the hill at night To link its beams with the brightness of moon and stars At the central dome Where the hills highest rise The sky is pillared On a column of green jade Where even the spotty lizard Cannot climb Can I a man-foot-old hope to find In the top is hollowed The white lotus lake With purple cusps Its clear waves are crowned The place I heard but the name I could not reach beyond the region of mortal things it lies. And standing here at a flat rock I saw, cubit square like a great paving stone, midway up fastened in the cliff wall, and down below it a thousand foot drop. Here they say that a master in ancient days sat till he conquered the concepts of life and death. The place is called the Settled Heart Stone. By aged men the tale is still told. I turn back to the shrine of Fairies' tryst. Thick creepers covered its old walls. Here it was that a mortal long ago on new grown wings flew to the dark sky. Westward, a garden of agaric and rue faces the terrace where his magic herbs were dried, and sometimes still on clear moonlit nights in the sky is heard a yellow crane's voice. I turned and sought the painted dragon hall where the bearded figures of two ancient men by the holy lectern at sermon time are seen in gleeful worship to nod their hoary heads who, going home to their cave beneath the river, of weather-dragons the writhing shapes assume. When rain is coming, they puff a white smoke in front of the steps from a round hole in the stone. Once a priest, who copied the holy books, of purpose dauntless and body undefiled, Loved yonder pigeons, Who far beyond the clouds Fly in flocks, Beating a thousand wings. They came and dropped him water In his writing bowl, Then sipped afresh In the river under the rocks. Each day thrice they went and came, Nor ever once missed their wonted time. When the book was finished They sent for a holy priest a disciple of his named Yang Nan. He sang the hymns of the lotus blossom book again and again, a thousand, a million times. His body perished, but the mouth still spoke, the tongue resembling a red lotus flower. This relic is no longer shown, but they still treasure the picks in which it lies. On a plastered wall are frescoes by the hand of Wu Whose pencil colours never fading glow On a white screen is writing by the Master Chu The tones subtle as the day it first dried Magical prospects, monuments divine Now all were visited Here we had tarried five nights and days yet homeward now with loitering footsteps trod I that a man of the wild hills was born floundering fell into the web of the world's net caught in its travels they forced me to study books twitched and tore me down the path of public life soon I rose to be bachelor of arts in the record office in the censorate I sat my simple bluntness did not suit the times. A profitless servant I drew the royal pay. The sense of this made me always ashamed, and every pleasure a deep brooding dimmed. To little purpose I sapped my heart's strength, till seeming age shrank my youthful frame. But From the very hour I doffed belt and cap, I marked how with them sorrow slank away. And now that I roam in the freedom of hills and streams, my heart to its folly comfortably yields. Like a wild deer that has torn the hunter's net, I range abroad by no halter's barred. Like a captive fish loosed into the great sea, to my marble basin I shall not ever return my body girt in the hermit's single dress, my hand holding the book of Chuang Chu, in these hills at last I am come to dwell, loosed forever from the shackles of a trim world. I have lived in labor forty years and more. If life's remnant vacantly now I spend, seventy being our span, then 30 years of idleness are still left to live. Okay. So <laughs> It's not quite finished. <laughs> but very nearly finished. Um, and um, Arthur Whaley died a noble and serene death in his bed after months of agony from cancer in the room at the top of the house in 50 Southwood Lane, Highgate pulled up close to the wide open window with its southern-facing views right across London. Bejui died similarly on his bed Definitely with his face to the south. I sometimes wonder when Whaley translated Poetui's last poem if he had intimations of his own passing. But of course with his sensitivity he would have done because to someone like him the moment of death is every moment. Here's how Poetui, his friend, and I like to think of them both as friends, um although divided by twelve centuries and seven seas, crossed over into the land of ghosts. The last poem, which Jane will read after me on this occasion. They have put my bed beside the unpainted screen. They have shifted my stove in front of the blue curtain. I listen to my grandchildren reading me a book, I watch the servants eating up my soup. With rapid pencil I answer the poems of friends. I feel in my pockets and pull out medicine money. When this superintendence of trifling affairs is done, I lie back on my pillows and sleep with my face to the south.
2: seeing Um,
1: Thank
0: Thank you very much, both of you, for transporting us Far, far away over misty hills, certainly that's what I had in my mind when we were up amongst the water and the huge horizons of the temple, but also in the little everyday rooms and places and books and faces that Bai Juyi brings to life. Thank you both very much. Um, I could really hear... The rhymes. Could you hear the rhymes in what was read there, which is tremendous? And Jane read those in Cantonese because um, current philological research suggests that that's actually how they would. have... It's much closer to how they would have sounded in the time period. Um, I think we have maybe a moment or two if people have questions um, before we before we finish. Um, do, do feel free to ask questions.
1: There must be one question.
0: Yes? Excuse me, how did you come upon this? How did you discover this man?
1: Um, Well, I've always loved Chinese poetry um, since I was a young man, and... um, I it was just a book I had, but I didn't realize I had it for years and years and years. And then suddenly started reading it and it got more and more absorbed. And I think one of the things was that Arthur Whaley's writing, he was a musician, you see, yeah. and a very fine musician. In fact, when he was first, um, first um, a young boy, his parents realized he was a genius of some kind and they assumed he was a musical genius. But he had a very acute ear, but um, that wasn't to be. But anyway, uh, I was attracted, being a musician, I think, in the first place, by his ex- the musical flow. And they are poems in their own right. They're not translations, as you and I might conceive of translations. They're recreations, and, uh, and they are, I think, very fine poems in their own right. In fact, I think he found his poetic voice more as a translator than in his own poetry, which is very interesting and good, but I think that was his true identity, and he somehow had this extraordinary empathy. Ah. Yes? Um, Hello, thank
2: you very much. Um, You definitely um, showed us that there were a lot of remarkable similarities um, between um, um, between poetry um, life and our lives today, maybe struggles and virtues and whatnot. Have you come
1: across any poems or passages which you feel like puts a gulf between um, poetry and yes. our lives? Yes. Yeah. Well, well, yes, because, I mean, one has to come up with it in the end. The more you go into it, you realise that, that male friendship in those times was um, was the relationship that counted, and uh, um relationship with, with men and women... Um, although sometimes very beautiful and romantic, on the whole were more functional things and just part of the everyday course of life. And so by current terms we, would, we might um, easily say that um, this was altogether wrong and unsuitable because it was his relationship with Yuan Chen and one or two other poets which really signified in his life. And so much is apparent in his poetry in a way because of the absence of comment about his wife he does, he's got a soft spot for his children <laughs> um, which increases as he gets older I and mean, there were so many poems I wanted to read you but I'm, I can't, can you there's so much you can take in did you find the temple was too long no. to absorb? no, it took us somewhere else oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing <laughs> does that answer your question? yes, yes. Um, the different relationships between Men and women, then and now, was certainly something that stood out. Another question. I noticed with these poems, and also with other writers, very specific mentions of, say, the Western Terrace or the Northern Gateway. I wondered whether these had any particular significance beta- besides the sort of times and seasons we know. Um, you've hit me on an eager spot, but I presume you did. They did, just as I. Special buildings are aligned in a certain way. Stonehenge was aligned in a certain way, or, and, and even in, in, uh, in the 17th, 18th century, houses were built in a certain direction just to give a special significance. But um, I can't tell you what the significance of the northern and the eastern gates was. I'm afraid. Can I say? I was about to say, maybe yeah,
2: well, Jane can enlighten us. Yeah. 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 I think if you'd is. like to
0: sorry.
2: stand up and just so people can hear you. Sorry, that uh, something to do I'm not 100% sure, but I think the uh, people in Tang Dynasty they, uh, they still worship heavens and so. Worship. sorry? heavens. Heavens, so yes. So that they they very much today. I think in sort of custom probably still remain in somehow Japan and some those are big blocks you know, in China uh, but then that transition was actually still very much inside you can see like, the forbidden city how it was built and the direction uh, you know connected to help that is there's a lot of to say about Sorry, thank you thank you
0: any other questions well it remains for me to say thank you very much To Gawain for introducing us if we didn't know uh, this poet or bringing him again to life for us if we did uh, tonight, uh, together with hearing some of the originals. Thank you very much indeed.